In a busy life, it's easier to make room for things when they lead to a clearly defined goal. We do this in order to get that. Perhaps that's why we often put pressure on ourselves to achieve something when we write, to justify the time. Write a bestseller by the end of the year. Get a thousand words written by the end of the day. Metrics and measurable progress rule our modern lives. But what if, in focusing only on them, we're missing the point? In many Eastern traditions, the point of practice is not actually to achieve something specific or even to become more skilled at something. That's often the result, but it's not the point. The point is to become more awake to the experience, to notice what's happening, to listen to the world unfold. Imagine if we practiced writing just to become more awake. Hello there, fellow writer, and welcome to episode three of the Fearless Writer podcast with me, Beth Kempton. I've created this podcast to encourage you along your writing path. It's a companion to my book, The Way of the Fearless Writer, which is where the opening words of this episode were taken from. I hope you will read and love the book and that you will tune in for the whole series and that together they will inspire many words of your own to flow. So, can you? Can you imagine if we practiced writing just to become more awake? Nothing more, nothing less. It would be completely radical. We would move deeper into the experience of our everyday life. We would slip out of the ties that bind us to the social ladder and we would have nothing to fear, for we would simply be awake. Breathing, looking, listening... Witnessing beauty, tuning into nature, accepting the ever-changing worlds around us and within us, and writing about what we see. No more word count targets, no more worries about grammar, no thought for what other people will think. No more status games or obsessions with metrics, just you and me and our words and this crazy, messy, beautiful world. Let's give it a try. In today's episode, we're going to explore how to get into the mindset of writing just because. Developing a practice of writing. Writing without attaching that writing to a fixed goal. Writing without worrying whether anyone will like it. This simple but profound shift can change everything, my friend. What I really want you to know this week is this. Writing can help us be present to the experience of life as it unfolds and it's worth doing just for that. Just as Olympic gold is the result of thousands of tiny decisions to show up and practice, every book is the result of hundreds, if not thousands, of tiny decisions to show up and write something, anything. And yes, I know it's quite ironic that I should choose Olympic gold as an example, because for many people that is the pinnacle of having a fixed goal and going after it. But to deny the value of practice would be to do a disservice to the 200,000 or so athletes who've competed in the Olympics and not won gold, or the many millions of athletes who've competed at national level but not made it to the Olympics, or the billions who've enjoyed sport but never made it into any particular level of competition. There is value in practising anything. And when the result is that you wake up the experience of your own life, that value is immense. What happens after that, or because of that, 
It's a completely separate thing. Even if you have no plans to write a book, it is those tiny decisions that lead to all the good things that come from writing. Getting to know yourself, inspiring others, healing, connecting, and opening doors you didn't even know were there. If you could see on the inside of the 100 plus notebooks that laid the foundations for the five books that I've written, you would understand that books are not spilt in a day, like sometimes movies show us that they might be when someone sat in front of a typewriter, just keeps typing and then the job's done. No, that is not how books are written. Certainly in my case, they're captured in fragments over many years and that's a relief because it means that the tiny pieces matter immensely. So it's fine to write lots of tiny pieces without knowing how they'll come together in the end and also that the pieces are tiny, so there's no pressure and you can just write whatever wants to be written. And somehow, over time, those tiny pieces move around each other, float together and take shape into something. An article, a play, a screenplay, a book. Who knows? And maybe they will and maybe they won't. But it's the experience of writing them that is the greatest treasure because that's what wakes us up to life. Here and now as it unfolds. Anything else is a bonus. I also want you to know that to build a flourishing writing life, we have to have discipline because that's what makes practice possible. Despite the association of the word discipline with punishment in one version of its meaning, discipline doesn't have to be intimidating or even rigid. To me, it's choosing writing even when it's easier not to when the sun's shining or the TV's calling or a friend has invited you for coffee. We talked about this a little in episode one, but it's so important I'm going to mention it again. As I said, it can help to have a routine to get you to the desk, a ritual to get you into the writing bubble and to have good communication with the people you share your life with so they understand and respect your need to carve out time and space. Today, I'd like to share a little bit about where I write so you can see how a particular space can support a writing practice. My writing space is my sanctuary. It's a tiny room at the back of the house. We live in a really old cottage, so it's got two staircases. And my writing office is basically the bit under the back stairs, but with windows. In our previous house, which was even older than this one, some 500 years old, My writing room was in the eaves of the low thatched roof, which was quite dreamy, you know, the idea of having an attic writing room, but there was almost no vertical wall space to lean a bookshelf against. So when we moved into this house, the first thing I did after getting the whole room painted white was to fill the many shelves with books. But after a while, I actually found that quite oppressive. So many other people's words all around me, there wasn't any room for my own So we turned the dining room into a library, moved most of the books in there and left only a few things on the shelves above my desk so it could breathe and so could I. My desk is enormous, especially when you consider the size of the room. It's nearly half the room. It's actually a workbench from an old science lab before they brought in those easy clean surfaces and built in Bunsen burners. It has a wooden top that's covered in scratches and on the left there's actually a hidden sink accessible by putting your fingers in a large hole and pulling up a chunk of wood. 
The stamped logo on the ceramic basin inside tells me that it was made in Darlington by the school furnishings company many years ago, I'm sure. The sink tends to collect tiny circles of paper which escape from my hole punch and flutter in through the hole in the lid. I tell my children it's my secret snack box, but every time they check, there are no snacks in there. Obviously, I hide them somewhere else. (laughs) As the desk used to be a workbench, it's the perfect height to be a standing desk, which is great for some of the time. Um, It's also great for working while sitting on a stool. That's okay for a bit, but it's very hard for long stretches of writing. So I also have an ergonomic chair, which I keep in the back room, which is a room we mostly use for storage. So I often sit among cardboard boxes and write. But my desk is up against a window which looks out on the garden. So to be honest, just like you can be in a room full of people on yoga mats and your yoga mat is big enough to contain the space that you need. For me, just that desk in the corner of that room with the window is enough. I don't even notice that the boxes are covering the floor behind me. My writing room itself, the main one, has a very old flagstone floor, which is lovely and cool in the summer, but in need of a rug in the winter. The shelves behind me are still full of books because I can't see them when I'm writing, so I don't get that feeling of um, just overwhelm from everyone else's words. And it's very helpful to have some reference books nearby. So they're mostly dictionaries, volumes of old literature and poetry, and reference books about Japan. But the shelves in front of me are much more open these days. And here are some of the things you might notice on them if you come to visit me at my desk. And if you do, I hope you bring a cup of tea. (laughs) I think it's quite interesting to pay attention to what you surround yourself with because it can distract from your practice or support your practice. So here's what you'll find where I write. An old teapot from Kyoto. A bell from the Portland Japanese Garden. A jam jar full of writing prompts. A few favourite mugs holding pens, pencils, paintbrushes, scissors and feathers. So many feathers. A pair of meditation bells joined by a thin strip of leather. A wild gorse candle. A rose and geranium candle. A black pepper candle. Some matches. A bamboo bowl filled with face masks. Some aura spray from the Chalicewell Garden in Glastonbury where I often go to write. A paper cup covered in scribbles some tiny vases with flowers in, a small globe which spins at an angle, a couple of books of poetry with covers in a calm colour, a bunch of tickets, one at the arcade and a chunk of clay which used to be in a heart shape. I think my children have been in here again. 23 crystals, my diary, an omamori, which is a charm for protection that I got from Meiji Jingu, a shrine in Tokyo a couple of decades ago. Purple threads are coming away from the silk at the edges. A framed picture, some hand cream, an aromatizer and a bunch of essential oils, a wooden sign which says, what are you waiting for? An Instax Polaroid camera, a chipped mug full of receipts, far too much washi tape, some affirmation cards and a lot of notebooks used and new. It sounds like a lot, but it really isn't. It doesn't look like a lot. These are all things that I use one way or another in my writing, sometimes in a ritual, perhaps as a memory prompt, or just as reminders of what I came to this desk to do. To write, to practice writing, to write as a sacred practice. 
I made a decision a while back that I'd like my shelves to look like one of those lovely lifestyle shops where a carefully curated group of books, journals, stationery, candles and other bits and pieces are laid out in such a way that it makes you want to buy everything. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure I've quite pulled it off, but it certainly feels like a calm, inviting space and all the things on the shelves are things that I love or have meaning or hint of beauty and things that call use me or write in me or let me help you get to work. And of course, the journals. Oh my goodness, journals, notebooks, whatever you call them. Let's take a look. If I share a little peek, um, I should actually add a caveat here because I love stationery so much. I often change the way I work with notebooks depending on the season or what I'm working on or whatever. So sometimes I will go months using only one type of journal. And if that particular journal gets full, I'll replace it with another one exactly the same if it's working for me. But then something might happen like the season changes or I don't like the colour of the cover anymore and I'll switch to another one. Or perhaps I'll start using several notebooks for a while, one for book ideas, one for business ideas and so on. And within those notebooks, sometimes my writing is really messy. Sometimes it's really neat. Sometimes that depends on my mood or sometimes it's the environment. Sometimes it's a purposeful choice of how to... Um, how to write to see how that affects what I write that can be a really fun experiment sometimes my handwriting depends on what I'm working on um, and my emotional connection to it um, or whether I'm actively trying to be playful and write between scribbled lines or draw pictures or whatever in my hand I've got a journal here from last summer when I was working on a book and designing a new writing course revising for a test planning a retreat playing with poetry and doing a ton of writing after yoga and um, that one is very full and it is just it feels very rich to me with all these different things in it so this one is a Lechtham 1917 journal I'm not sure if I pronounce that right but they're wonderful journals with dotted pages you can also get blank pages or lined pages but I'm into dotted ones at the moment And this particular one has a dark teal cover. There are lots of sticky tabs poking out from the edges where I've marked important things. And two teal ribbons mark particular pages. And there are a few post-it notes lurking here and there and some things written in pencil. But mostly it's black ink, usually from a uni ball or a pilot pen. I do quite often use other colours, especially gel pens, to write headings or um, to kind of highlight things. But my go-to pen is a black ink Uniball I, it's called, um, or a pilot pen. Some pages have washi tape along the bottom. Um, That's a brilliant quick trick to avoid a blank page. So if you don't know what washi tape is, it's basically patterned sticky tape. That's um, sticky enough to stick things down, but not so sticky that you can't remove it. And these days you can get it in all sorts of gorgeous patterns. And I love to just put it across the pages and write in between the lines. Others have wiggly lines scribbled across them and I write between those so my letters go from big to small to follow the kind of waves of ink and some pages have tables on them, others have mind maps. You know sometimes my mind goes super practical and analytic and everything is a diagram. Other pages are long lists of random thoughts or interesting word combinations, tiny sketches or Um, writing exercises that I've done, lists of things I want to read or follow up on. 
Some pages have oracle cards taped in. I love oracle cards and I have sacrificed a few decks because I like to keep the ones I've pulled if they've really spoken to me um, at a particular time in my writing. One page here has 46 ideas for growing my business. And there's a timeline for the lifespans of characters in a secret novel that I've not written yet. Um, this page has the whole epilogue of a future book, which spilled out of me in one go, just as the sun rose over the sea in front of the bay window of the little apartment I rented in St Ives in Cornwall not long ago to write. But <laughs> interestingly, when I was there, I found myself doing abstract watercolour painting for two days instead of writing. And then suddenly that entire epilogue arrived. Amazing how that happens. <laughs> Um, in front of me, I also have an MD Paper notebook. That's a Japanese brand of notebook. Love MD Paper um, with beautifully smooth, creamy pages and a dusky rose fabric cover. This is also dotted and I filled it with tiny writing. It I had a very strange experience working on The Way of the Fearless Writer where I wrote in this book consistently for several hours a day, every day for four months when I was working on the manuscript by hand in this absolutely tiny writing. So there's maybe 40 lines to a page. And I took this on retreat with me to a place where no devices were allowed. So I was forced to write by hand the whole time. And I wrote something like 30,000 words in a week, longhand. It took me weeks to write it all up because I would mull over every thought and add to it as I typed. And I know that sounds really laborious, but actually it was a really important part of the process. And what I wrote longhand in this notebook became the foundation for the whole book. And it is brilliant to have things typed up because you can search and you can cut and paste and all of that jazz. But I also just love having things in a notebook because you don't use everything you write. And so you can always just flick back and look at something that you've never used for something and take it as a spark for something else that you might want to write today. I do sometimes use guided journals. Um, to be honest, I mostly buy them and look at them because <laughs> they're so beautiful. Um, I have used a couple of different types fully in terms of filling the pages. And those tend to be the ones that have abstract art on the pages in my kinds of colours. But I have to say, I've never found the perfect one. So maybe I'll have to create that myself. I'll let you know if I do. Now, if you thought that notebooks of professional writers or any writers, non-professional, anyone who writes, um, have to be neat and only written in with neat handwriting and straight lines. Let me advise you otherwise. This is not school. <laughs> Notebooks are containers for all the ways we notice the world. So as you go about your daily life, part of the practice is to pay attention to what interests you and put it all in there. Collect delicious words, make lists of things, Cut out pictures, keep postcards, scribble maps, make notes of snippets of a conversation, write out your favourite poems, whatever it is that is calling to you at this point in time. And this magpie-like gathering of inspiration is going to serve you. I don't know when, but at some point it definitely will. And it's really fun to do it anyway. And if you use your notebook like a scrapbook, you know, collaging and inking and sticking stuff in with abandon, allowing it to be messy. All it takes is a quick flick back through those pages to get that shot of inspiration. And I like to tape in stuff over the top of what I've written. So I might have filled my notebook and then I'll go back with my washi tape and some cut out bits of tracing paper, for example, and stick them over the top 
and then I can write on that without damaging what's underneath. Or I make homemade envelopes with notes inside or blank pieces of paper that I can write on later. And I stick those in my notebook or tape other kinds of paper over the top of things that I've written. So when you go back through it at a later date looking for inspiration, it becomes this discovery trail, which also takes you straight back to that particular moment in your life. A moment like every moment, which will never come again. So it's kind of like a travel journal for your daily travels through life. And if you're a highly visual person, this can make a huge difference to how easily you open your heart and let the words flow. I'd love to hear about your journals and how you organise them. If you organise them, what they contain, I'm nosy like that. So do come and tell me over on Beth Kempton on Instagram um, or tag me when you post a picture of your own notebooks and journals. I'd love to see. As an aside, I'm going to let you into a secret. For a long time, I was confused about what financial freedom really is. And then one day I realised it's simply the freedom to buy whatever notebook you like and not be precious about keeping it pristine <laughs> and pretty easy to please. But seriously, there is something in that, in that a notebook is a tool of the trade for a writer. And so I came to a point in my writing career where I allowed myself to buy any notebook that I felt drawn to. Um, and also allow myself to let it sit on the shelf until the day came. It felt like it was the notebook I wanted to write in. And um, that has been a little expensive at times, but it means I'm never short of paper. And if I'm feeling stuck in one notebook, I can dive into another and something always comes. Anyway, I digress. We are all different and different approaches help us show up for practice whether it's lucky socks or your favourite cup of tea or an alarm that tells you that now it's time to write, get yourself to the desk, just find what works for you and keep showing up over and over. Show up to writing practice, practice writing and pay attention to what happens when you treat that practice as sacred. You're going to witness yourself waking up. Now, I was asked recently, what would you advise a beginner writer who doesn't feel that they have an area of expertise? And I'm talking about this this week because I think sometimes we feel pressured to write about something specific that we know loads and loads about. But for me, writing is all about asking questions and finding my way to an answer. So I'm more interested in things that I have some connection to, but a real sense of something that I don't know. Um, and so that's why I wanted to share this experience with you being asked what would you advise a beginner writer who doesn't feel that they have an area of expertise so without getting into a discussion about how we're all beginners in one way or another every time we show up on a new day for a new writing session I suggested this become the expert of the moment in front of you get quiet and ask yourself what's alive for you right now and then go there and write about it and that leads me to a question that I had from a teenager in one of my classes recently, asking for advice for story techniques. So firstly, I was thrilled that she was there in her teens, learning to write from her heart, rather than coming to this kind of writing later in life, as so many of us do. The vast majority of students on my courses are much older than teenage years. Um, you know, I would say probably 30s and upwards, up to any age. But I love the fact that somebody at such a crucial time of transformation in their life, is 
learning how to write from their heart. It's just an amazing skill to have. Um, teenage years are such an important time when we come to see the world in new ways and anyone who can write their way through that is going to learn so much about themselves and the world. So I was thrilled to get this question um, from her. Uh, and in terms of practising story writing, this is what I told her. And I'm sharing it here because I think it's useful for practising any kind of writing. So first of all, I said it's really important to be curious. Instead of looking at your phone, look at the world. Notice how people behave, how they move, how they talk to each other and what they don't say. Imagine their secret lives. You know, you can do all of that waiting for the bus. I also suggest that she spend time in nature, letting it lead her to big questions about how the world works because all the best stories are connected to the human condition or our experience of existence in some way. And I suggest that she read a lot, especially books like the ones she'd like to write and myths as well, really fantastic for developing a sense of story. And I suggested that she learn from the masters. If a cook wants to become a better cook, they will go and study cookery. So why do we think that we shouldn't go and study writing or storytelling? There are plenty of amazing people out there um, who can help you become a better storyteller. Many of them have written fantastic books. So I suggested she learn from some of those. People like Ursula K. Le Guin, Will Storr, Robert McKee, Sean Coyne, Lisa Cron, Beth Kephart, Dr. Martin Shaw. Um, they've all written fantastic books about writing or storytelling or telling your life story. Some of them have written other kinds of books as well, novels and things like that. But I will put links to my recommended books from them about writing and storytelling in the show notes. Some of them are absolutely masterful. But mostly I said, be interested. Notice how things change. Anytime something changes, there is a story there. Everything changes, so there are stories everywhere. This is what we realise when we keep showing up to practice. We keep doing the same thing over and over and we notice that it's slightly different every time. And that tiny noticing opens up a door to a whole lot more noticing. And we see what is changing and we see where the stories are. Now on the subject of practice, make sure you read chapter three of The Way of the Fearless Writer because there you're going to discover how to stay interested in your work even when you don't know where it's going, how to get out of a rut and find inspiration anywhere and also a whole host of exercises that are going to help you build your writing practice. Okay? Now, on the subject of practice, before we get to our own writing, I just want to share these brilliant words with you from Verlin Klinkenborg, who has some things to say about it. His fantastic book, Several Short Sentences About Writing, is one I highly recommend, and these are some words from it. You already possess some important assets. You know how to talk, how to read, and presumably how to listen. You've grown up in language. You have the evidence of your senses, the upwelling of your emotions, the persistent flow of thoughts through your mind, the habit of talking to yourself or staging conversations in your head, imagination and memory. With luck, you were read aloud to as a child, so you know how sentences sound when read aloud, 
and how stories are shaped and a great deal about rhythm, almost as much as you did when you were 10 years old. You may even have the capacity of knowing what interests you, or better yet, knowing how to detect what interests you. You're also two people, writer and reader. This is a tremendous asset. You can only become a better writer by becoming a better reader. You have far more experience as a reader than you do as a writer. You've read millions of words arranged by other writers. How many sentences have you made so far? And so when writing practice feels intimidating, you can just come back to that, what writing practice really is, listening to the world and making sentences about it. So shall we have a go? As with each episode, I'm going to invite you to breathe slowly and deeply for a few breaths to settle yourself into the writing moment. Then I'm going to read a spark, which is what I call a short reading or poem that acts as a kind of catalyst for your own words. Remember, you don't have to do anything with the spark. You just need to let the words wash over you or prompt a response from you or perhaps seep in and resonate deeply. Try not to get caught up in whether you like the poem or don't like the poem is just to feed you with something to get the words flowing okay the intention of this practice is simply to open a door to get your heart listening and your pen moving so we breathe and then I read the spark and we write for just two minutes and then I'm going to give you a writing prompt and invite you to write for a further 10 minutes in silence at the end of the 10 minutes you'll hear a gong and I will wrap up the podcast If you'd rather keep writing, of course, you can just pause the audio and keep going until you've finished. I'd love to hear how you get on with this. Feel free to share by tagging me at Beth Kempton, hashtag Fearless Writer Podcast, or pop over to my account and let me know. Okay, let's go. Take a few slow, deep breaths here. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale, exhale. Make yourself even more comfortable in the position that you're in and keep breathing slowly and deeply. A few more breaths to arrive fully here. Today's spark is a poem called Bill's Beans for William Stafford by Naomi Shihab Nye in Tender Spot, published by Blood Axe. I'll read the poem and then you'll have two minutes of silence in which to respond on paper however you like 
and then I'll offer you today's writing exercise. Under the leaves, they're long and curling. I pull a perfect question mark and two lean twins, feeling the magnetic snap of stem, the ripened weight. At the end of a day, the earth smells thirsty. He left his brown hat, his shovel and his pen. I don't know how deep bean roots go. We could experiment. He left the sky over Oregon and the fluent trees. He gave us our lives that were hiding under our feet, saying, you know what to do. So we'll take these beans back into the house and steam them. We'll eat them one by one with our fingers, the clean click and freshness. We'll thank him forever for our breath and the brevity of bean. Now I invite you to write about an experience of waking up. This could be waking up somewhere new or unexpected, in the middle of the night during a storm or in a hospital after an operation, for example. It could be a memory or something that you imagine, or it could be a metaphorical waking up. Ten minutes, write whatever wants to be written.
And that, my friend, is 10 minutes. I'll be back next week talking about what it means to choose the writing path and how to find good friends for the journey. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. There's a lot of goodness coming up. And if you've enjoyed it, please leave a lovely review and a rating and tell all your writerly friends. You've been listening to the Fearless Writer podcast with me, Beth Kempton. This podcast was produced by Untapped Talent and the theme music at the end of the podcast is The River, sung by Danny Nichols and co-written by Danny Nichols and me, Beth Kempton. You can listen to the full edition of this gorgeous song, All About Life, on iTunes, Spotify, Bandcamp or wherever you get your music. You can dive deeper into your writing with my book, The Way of the Fearless Writer, complete with 50 original writing exercises I hope it will help you release the gold that is buried deep inside you and spill it as ink onto the page. And remember, my friend, you are a writer and the world needs your medicine.